So let's go ahead and, and go to God in prayer before we start our study. Lord and Father, we do, we do praise you and we thank you for the fact that we have this word, that we can come together in a country that, um, at least for now, we can um, study your word without any fear of retribution or, um, or concern. And so, Father, again, we just thank you that you sent your son to die for us, that your desire is for all of mankind to be saved, but not just to be saved, to come into the knowledge of the truth. And so, Father, as we study your word, we just pray, pray that the, the spirit that dwells within us would prepare our hearts, our minds, to accept, accept your word for what it is, and that is of the truth. So just be with us today as we, we worship you, as we study your word. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 4. We left off last week in verse 5. Uh, we left off with Paul um, continuing his teaching that justification comes by faith only. And uh, he has quite a bit, if you've noticed, about, to say about justification. He's been talking about it, um, well, since the beginning of, of the book, since Romans chapter 1 is what he's been talking about. And here he's, he's using an interesting method to prove it, that faith, even though it was once faith plus works, now it's faith only, and he's using those um, in Israel's past to prove that what he's teaching is not against God and against God's method of, of establishing justification. So he uses... Uh, the two um, main um, historical figures in the nation of Israel. He uses Abraham, Father Abraham, to the nation of Israel. Those who Isra the, the Israelite constantly refers to as their father, our father Abraham. And he's going to, uh, as we're going to look at today, use David. And we told you last week why he's using the two of those. Uh, and David, you know, has, has covenant promises to him. And regarding his kingdom, him being a king, the king never being taken away from his line, and then Abraham obviously having the promises pertaining to the land. The two things that Israel are most concerned about, the land of Israel and the kingdom of Israel. These are the two things. And so Paul uses these two individuals to establish the fact that my, my teaching is not anti-God. My teaching is not anti um, our forefathers. And so that's what he's doing here. That's what his point is. Just a reminder, Romans chapter 11, turn with me there, verse 6. Some people take what we're talking about today to suggest that justification never involved works. It did involve works. Romans 11, verse 6, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace understanding that there was a time uh, which it was faith plus works. Paul's point isn't that works were never involved. That's not his point. The point is, is faith has always been involved. Works, you know, ha have been involved at certain times, but he uses Abraham to show that Abraham was justified um, without any works. And he's going to use David here uh, in, a, in a little bit of a different way. Now, just for the, the case of uh, um, 
of a reminder as we go into this situation when it comes to, to works. Last week, we, we kind of quickly went over the, the, the concern or the supposed contradiction or the watering down of Scripture that we see with the book of James. And so just want to uh, uh, kind of go over that a little bit and somewhat quickly unless you have some questions. But understanding that repetition is how we learn things. Talk, that's why Paul is constantly talking about this. He's constantly talking about this justification. Matter of fact, there's a reason why even professional baseball players still hit off of a tee. Why? Because repetition works. And so just a reminder, go back to James. In case you weren't here last week, or if you didn't uh, see the recording from last week, Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Look at verse 21. James 2.21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by his works was faith made perfect, meaning complete. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And we know the context of this has to do with justification before God. It has to do with one's salvation because of verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? The answer is, today, yes. Faith alone not only can save him, faith alone is the only way in which a person can be saved. But James is talking about Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham who did a work. But as we talked about last week, Paul, whenever he's using Abraham in Romans chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham who was justified by faith in uh, Genesis 15. And so you can see that both are true. They don't contradict each other, but guess what? Both aren't true today. You are not going to be justified by faith plus works today. There are a lot of churches out there are going to try and get you to do works out there today. If, you, if they're teaching sacraments, if they're, if they're teaching, teaching tithes and all these kind of things, that you have to do something in order to please God towards your justification, that's faith plus works. We don't do that today. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There is no faith plus works. So, and, and uh, I didn't read it to you, but you can go back and you can look at it yourself. James chapter 1, verse 1 says specifically who James is talking to. To the 12 tribes of Israel. What tribe do you belong to? You don't. You don't belong to a tribe. You belong to that new creature, that thing that was never um, known or never created, that new thing that Paul revealed, that new thing called the body of Christ. That's what you belong to if you're a believer, not a tribe. There are no tribes. There's no priests. There's no tribes in the body of Christ. And so this is why James is talking to them. So keep that in mind as, as, as we look at this. And the reason why this is a big deal, and we talked about it at the end of the message last, or the, the teaching last week, and so you can go back and look at it. There are many people who have, been, who, who have walked away 
because of, of churches trying to, 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 to apply the things that were written to Israel and apply them to us. And it just causes problems. So any comments or questions on, on any of that? All right. Romans chapter 4. Let's pick up in verse 5. As we, where we left off, Romans 4, 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man in, to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And so here when it says that believe on him that justifies the ungodly, um, just a, a quick point that we, we, we need to make here is, is that some say belief only comes with God making you believe. That you cannot believe unless God enables you to believe. You cannot have faith unless you unless God gives it to you. Um, and I'm sorry to say that that's, that's, that's a confusion that a lot of people um, have been let down, and it's just simply not true. Some other people will say that they're not even sure how you can believe. You know, I'm not sure how I can even know if I believe or not. And so there's, a, I think, a lot of um, not just confusion, I would say, uh, more of a complication, an unnecessary complication of how this works. And so whenever it says here that, that um, blessed, blessed is the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, but above that I meant to read that, that believeth on him that justifies the ungodly. Um, Romans 10 says faith comes by what? Hearing, right? Yeah, I didn't hear you say it, so that's why I waited to hear, hear it again. Faith comes by hearing. Faith doesn't come by God giving you the faith, does it? And see, it's pretty simple if you ask me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Look at, go over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now we know Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul is, is um, talking about Israel again. But there are still universal truths. Look at Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? It's kind of a pretty important question considering if we're talking about that you have to, um, God justifies the ungodly who believe. Well, how shall they call on him if, whom they have not believed? How, how are they going to do that? How is that going to take place? And how shall they believe on him or believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, you know, God sends truth via preachers. Now, whether it's in this day or whether it was a prophet in, in, in old days. The way God sends truth is God sends his word through a preacher, which 
that preaching um, is God's word, and the person hears that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and guess what? At that point, the person could either believe it or not believe it. That's how it works. That's how complicated this really is. And people want to overcomplicate it and say that you can't believe unless God chooses you to believe and God enables you to believe. People say that, well, we can never really know if we believe. Yes, you can know if you can believe. God sends forth his word, and you hear it, and do you believe it? That's exactly how Abraham was justified. Isn't that what we read? Whenever, when God said, that, look up at the stars, count them if you can. That's how many of the descendants you're going to have. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so here when it says that God justifies the ungodly, uh, there's two things that I think every person um, who gets to glory, who gets to eternity with Christ, uh, there's two things I think that all of, all of us are going to have in common. We were all at one point ungodly. Every single one of us were ungodly. And the other thing is we were justified by Christ. That's two things that every single one of us will have in common. I don't care if that's David. I don't care if that's Abraham. And I don't care if that's you or me. We were ungodly. Just to maybe digress just a little bit, but Romans 10, that actually is almost like a, a timeout in Romans, isn't it? Meaning uh, Romans 10 is directed to Israel, mm-hmm. and it, it's not really part of the, the message to the Gentiles as such because 10-9 mm-hmm. is, is obviously directly to, to Israel. Sure, yeah, which is why I was saying that, that there are some universal truths. And so that what we read 14 through 17, I think is one of those universal truths. But yeah, Romans 9, 10, 11 is, is Paul talking about the situation with Israel. And so you've got to, again, make sure, this is why it's important that when you, you don't, you guys know what proof texting is, right? Proof texting is whenever you take a verse that, you know, here's my belief system and I pull out a verse to, to fit it. You, you have to be careful not to do that. You've got to make sure that you're putting it in context. You've got to make sure that you're using it in a way that, that conforms to what God's intention was and what his um, purpose was. And so my belief, be convinced in your own mind, my belief is, is that what Paul is saying in Romans 10, 14 through 17, um, how faith comes and that how shall people believe? It's always, it's always been that way. Those are universal truths, but Tim is exactly right that um, those, those uh, 9, 10, and 11 are, are certainly something that um, you need to make sure that you're paying attention to um, because Paul is talking specifically about Israel in those situations. So, Sorry, back here to Romans. So again, I believe that the... God justifies the ungodly. We're all, all of us who are going to be justified. That's the one thing that we have in common, which is why you will see repeatedly in Scripture God calling out those who have a prideful heart. Even whenever it was Jesus on earth and he called out those that, that um, approached God with a humble heart, acknowledging them, themselves being a sinner, versus that somebody that wanted to, to glory in their own flesh, whether that was because they were of the seed of Abraham, because they were a Levite, you know, whatever the case may be, we cannot approach God that way. It is God is un, he's, he's in the business of saving the ungodly. If you're not ungodly, guess what? He's not here to save you. He didn't come to save you. Which, fact of the matter is, is nobody fit that description. 
Verse 6 here is now when we get to David. He says, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. Now it's interesting again with David because where Abraham was not one moment in his life was he under the law. The law came 400 years after Abraham. David was under the law, wasn't he? All of David's life he was under the law. The law came through Moses, which was obviously before David. And so David is a fitting example because even you know with his situation being under the law and covenants, Paul is going to show that even he describes God's uh, imputed righteousness without works. Well, how is this? How is it that David could describe this? If he was under faith plus works, how could David describe this? Well, that's what we're going to try and take a look at here uh, over the next uh, few minutes here. Uh, keep in mind that Abraham was justified. Justified, uh, His justification was a- obtained by faith. In other words, his justification was obtained initially by faith. David's initially was through the law system. But David had another problem, though. David committed a sin that the law itself couldn't even forgive. And so that's, that's one of the things that we have, to, we have to keep in mind. David demonstrates that once justified, it is not works that maintain our justification. And so um, let me repeat that. The, the person who is justified cannot maintain their justification by works. It's not going to happen. And so that's what we're seeing here that's being brought up. Verses 7 and 8 here, we already read that, is Paul quoting David in the Psalms. That's what he's he's quoting, which we'll maybe go there in a minute. But understand that the way this works is uh, David had a promise. So though he was under the law, though he was justified, though he would have been circumcised the eighth day, though he would have made his sacrifices for his sins, David had what the scriptures call the, the sure mercies. Um, those, there are those that talk about the sure mercies of David. Look at 2 Samuel with me. He had a sure promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7. What was David's promise? What was David's promise before we, we get there and read it? Anybody, anybody recall? Bingo! His kingdom, not only that he would have a kingdom, that it would be forever. Now, one might ask, well, wait a minute, are you suggesting that David's never going to sin again? Anybody think David stopped sinning? Well, that's kind of the point that we're talking about here. Not only does David continue to sin, David does a sin that the law did not have a provision for. But yet, he had the sure promises. He had this promise. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 with me. Starting verse 12, just above this, keep in mind just for context, David expressed the desire to build God his own house. David recognized that he had this great house, but here the Lord was in a tent, and so he expressed the desire to build a house. And God's response is this. Verse 12 is... um, 
chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And here's God uh, sending Nathan with uh, God's response to David's desire. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. And so David had this sure promise. But then enter David's sin with Bathsheba. So keep in mind this promise God makes before the event with Bathsheba. And David commits a very heinous situation here. We, I think, maybe look at it in an earthly sense sometimes. But David didn't just commit adultery. David commits adultery, murder, and he hides his sin. And and so what he did was so grievous, so so, um, bad, that whenever, whenever Nathan comes to David and he begins to tell him about somebody who did this you know, and he gives a he gives an illustration. What was David's response about this should be done to that person? Kill him. Kill him. David didn't know who it was. He says, That man should be killed. And Nathan says, That's you. And David's like, Oh. Now did David hide his sin? No. No, from that point he he acknowledged it. And so but David sins. Go to Second Samuel chapter twelve. Samuel chapter twelve, look at verse thirteen. Is whenever this is the chapter in which he's confronted. Verse 13 And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And David, and Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now, he's going to get the situation with his son being killed. But what did that do for David's situation? What about David? It says here his sin was put away. Ha! David's not even told how this happens. David doesn't understand how how it is that he has this sin removed from him. And that's what David... Now go to Psalms. Now go to Psalms. 32. We're going to look at a couple places in Psalms. Psalms 32, verse 1. Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So David, he saw grace, but he didn't know why this, or he didn't know how this grace was applied to him. Some would suggest to you that David, you know, you know, those in the, again, I've talked about this before. Those in the past looked forward to the cross as though that they understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. No. God knew about that. 
David didn't know about that. And this is why David talks about this, this thing, and he talks about it in Psalm 89. He does not understand how this works. But he does understand that God has taken away his sin. David acknowledges, what a chapter 51, that there is no sacrifice for his sin. Psalm 51, verse 14. Psalm 51, 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Well, whose blood was he guilty of? Uriah. Uriah. And I'll show you that this is what he's talking about here in a second. He says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. He's, he's acknowledging there is no sacrifice that David could make for the sin that he did. But yet we just read, in, right whenever he was confronted with his sin, Nathan says, but God has put away your sin. David doesn't know how this works. Why doesn't he know how this works? Romans chapter 3 says, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. So you get to know how David was made righteous. David didn't get to know that. You do. Now tell me you don't get excited about the fact that you have the word of God. Because you get to know those things. And how do I know that that's what he's talking about? Go look at verse 1. Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came on unto him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou might be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And so here, David, again, he doesn't understand how this works. But Paul here is using him anyway. Paul is showing that David had the promise of God in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see David's sin, and we see in Psalms, even David, Paul says, even David talks about the justification of the man who's justified without works. And how was David justified without works? He did not lose his justification and he did not have to do works because there was no work he could do. Now, if God made a promise to David, a sure promise, that yes, if your children sin, I will get the whip out and spank them a little bit, but I will never do to them what I did to Saul. I will never take my mercy from them. I will chastise them, but I will never take it away. And David can, can, can rejoice on, in those sure mercies because of the promise of God. God made a promise to David that he would never do that. What do you think that might mean when God made a promise to you about your salvation? That he will never leave you or forsake you? Do you, do you think, yeah. The faith of God. Remember when we talked about the faith of God? We're saved by the faith of God. It's not just our faith in God. Because if God's not faithful, your faith in him means absolutely nothing. Because you can put your faith in me for something all day long. 
But the reason why you can count on your salvation is the same reason why David could count, even though he didn't understand it, is because God is faithful. So I hope that makes sense. And I would tell you, we, didn't, we don't have time, we won't do it now. Put it in your notes, go read Psalm chapter 89. The whole chapter, Psalm chapter 89, talks about this same stuff. And, and you'll get some more insight there. And so here's, here's Paul, go back to Romans chapter 4, using David as this example of this one who was also justified by faith. Even though there was works um, involved at that time, there was no work that was going to be able to justify, justify David. All right, Romans 4, verse 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How is it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision? Or in uncircumcision. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Paul doesn't always answer his questions. Sometimes he asks the rhetorical question, but here he makes sure to answer it. And we'll, we'll look at it more in a second. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision and, he, and a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been circumcised, that he might be the father of all, all them that believe though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Um, to me, I find this is this very interesting verse, even though it might be somewhat hard to follow and even somewhat common sense of an answer here. Paul asks the question. He's, he's, he's not just dealing with works. Now he's specifically going to call out the idea that it's, this, this faith might be only for the circumcision. Okay, Paul. Okay, Paul. We get it. It's faith. You've got to have faith. We get that it's not faith that works, but it's just for us, the circumcision, right? Paul then goes back to Abraham. Well, did Abraham's faith come to him before or after circumcision is his point? Well, before circumcision. And that's what he's talking about. Um, go to Genesis chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 7. This is 17, 7. It says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and the seed after thee. Remember what I said about repeating things? You know, sometimes I, it may seem like I repeat things a lot by design because it seems like that's the way God does things this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and between thy seed and thee every man child among you shall be circumcised and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you 
And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or brought you or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must need be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the circumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Now, obviously a very important covenant, the circumcision. Paul's question is, is it only for them? And he says, well, wait a minute. The, um, Abraham's justification be, came before this covenant. Matter of fact, it came 14 years before this. You go back to Genesis, like we talked about, Genesis chapter 15, whenever he was declared righteous by God, by faith only, is, is when this happened. So you've got 14-year difference between these two, um, two events. So that means that Abraham's justification had nothing to do with circumcision. Or if you want to put it another way, circumcision had nothing to do with Abraham's justification. So that answers the question to the Jew who thinks that it's by circumcision. Is it only the circumcision or is it also to the uncircumcision? And Paul says, well, Abraham received it apart from. He received it before. Now, the reason I, I stress that so much is because I think that that is a very cool thing. We could take for granted of what these verses are telling us. Verse 11. I want you to go back to there, Romans 11 or Romans 4. See if you get as excited about this as I do. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. See if you can pick up on these this wording. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. Now notice what this says. That he might be the father of all, them that believe. Though they be circumcised, or be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which had yet be circumcised. Now, I hope you caught this. What Paul is saying here, what God is saying is, is not only was, was justification to Abraham before circumcision, he says it was done that way on purpose. It says that he may be the father of those who believe. And you may say, okay, big deal, whatever. Do you realize that what that's saying? The foreknowledge of God the purpose of God, the intents of God, that God has a plan, he has a purpose, and he had, he had things in mind, he's got an order to how he does things. In order for Abraham to be the father of them to believe is the reason why justification came before circumcision. And I hope that that gets you um, excited. It does me, I'll, I'll mention more in a second. Turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Here Paul talks about them who are the children of God. Galatians 3, 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of 
faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Well, how does that work? Well, we, that's what Paul is explaining in Romans chapter 4. So Galatians 3, 7 states it. Romans 4 explains it. And so keep that in mind. You're a child by faith of Abraham. People think, well, do we become Jews? Everybody thinks that, well, you know, it's talking about, you know, we've been made the children of Abraham, so that makes us Jews. You've got replacement theology that thinks that, that, that the church has replaced Israel because we're the children of Abraham. No. We're the children of Abraham before circumcision. We're the children of Abraham because he was the father of them that believed, not because we replaced Israel. And so he's, he's the father of, of those who um, are without circumcision and those who are with circumcision. And so, um, in other words, he's a father of those who are faith without works and those who are faith plus works. Um, so, because keep in mind, uh, and I don't know if I've driven this point home uh, enough or, or not. If whatever God tells you to have faith in, that is what you have faith in. There was a time in which Abraham had to have faith that he was going to have an heir. There was a time when Abraham had to have faith plus get circumcised, which is why James says that it was with works. There was a time in which Noah had to build a, build a boat. There was a time in which Moses you know, had to go do what he had to do. There was a time in which the law was in place and you had to perform the sacraments, the, the sacrifices, you had to have the rituals. You had to have the ceremonies. You had to have all of those things. If God said that that's the way in which I'm going to apply grace by faith, you better do it. And whenever, whenever John the Baptist comes and says that you better get water baptized in order to get the remission of sins to get justification, then that's what you better do. So it's not just that, that you can have faith. It's what you have to have faith in. You have to believe God. And if God said repent and be baptized you are not in a place or man was not in a place to say no that's not going to work but today the difference is is it's it's just faith in the death burial and resurrection it wasn't that way before now again to me again this these verses 11 and 12 and um, I, I really I, I really hope that you can appreciate um, what that's saying there. And, and really, it should cause each and of us, those verses alone should cause us to bend the knee and worship God. Because again, it shows that his ways are above our ways. Satan didn't know that by killing the Messiah, what was going to happen, did he? Because they wouldn't, he, he wouldn't have had it done. Man, throughout eternity, thinks that he can keep up with God but he can't. His ways are above our ways. And we see here in verse 11 and 12 that God, sometimes God's timing is not something that we like. Sometimes we want him to do it in our timing. But you see, 14 years is what Abraham had to wait before he got the covenant and a year later received his son. 14, 15 years before that is when God justified him. By faith. And it was 15 years later that he actually got that error. Look at uh, Romans 11 with me. Romans 11, 33. Romans 11, 33. 
Paul sometimes breaks out in what some would call a doxology and some just a, an utterance of the of how God is. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depths, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. It's not that you can't know the wisdom of God. It's not that you can't do that. This is talking about, like the Old Testament talks about, the idea that you're going to be able to find wisdom and knowledge apart from God. Man today thinks that with our PhDs and our doctorates and all this kind of stuff, but we've got the answers to the mind, we've got the answers to sin, we've got the answers to everything in the world. God says, keep trying, because apart from me, it ain't going to happen. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Knowledge and wisdom is never going to be attained apart from God. Not real knowledge and wisdom. Not saying that you can't figure out some things. Proverbs chapter 30. Verses 3 and 4. This is the words of Agor, or Agor, however you say his name. And uh, it's talking about the knowledge and wisdom of God can never be attained by man. It can only be revealed to him. Look at verse 3. I, ne- I neither learned wisdom nor, I, nor have the wisdom of the holy. Who has ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou can tell? Again, wisdom, knowledge, true of all of those things only comes from God. And and here this, this, this person here, some suggest he's a scribe, is acknowledging the fact that that. You know, I, I can't attain to that. I can't discover it on my own. I've got to get it from God. In Isaiah 55, you know, that famous famous verse, you can look at that up, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. Why? Because as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways. And so that's kind of what Paul, I see here in this Romans chapter, Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, is the idea that so that he may be the father of them that believe God did it that way. And so I hope that you can see the fingerprint of God is what he's saying. You can see my fingerprint in you all the way back to Abraham. And to me, that just gets me excited. Any comments? I'll close it out there. Okay.